It's four o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Woohoo! This week, doing taxi trivia. Win big dollars on this episode. Eh, maybe win a book or a free membership or free renewal. And thank you, fake band. Thank you, fake audience. Um, hi, guys. Let me get the chat room open so I can see everybody. There you are. Okay. Hello. Mladen uh, Damik. Hello to all. Wendelin Landers, Dan Weber. Rick Allen, Devin Alwey, Stuart McClellan, Randy House, Dean Turner, um, Darren Fletcher, Mojo Bone, Bob Gunnerfeld, Jim Stamper, Russell Nolan, Carl Wurzbach, uh, Chapters Publishing, uh, hello, Pat Wara. Um, Rogany, hi, how are you? Um, Nigel, Robbie Hancock, Johnny Castle, Jesse J. Peck. Anyway, um, this episode has the potential to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do some taxi trivia, and uh, the person who gets, first of all, you win the point by being the first person with the right answer. So if you're the second person, the fifth person, or the 25th person, doesn't matter. The first person with the right answer wins the point. We're going to track the points. The person who has the most points at the end of the session um, episode either wins a free taxi membership if you're not currently a member and gee i can't imagine why you wouldn't be um, and if you're an existing member you get a free renewal tacked on to your current membership and while we're playing for millions and millions of dollars i'm joking of course don't call your lawyer when i renege on that later um, i'm going to give away a copy of dean crepane's incredibly good book demystifying the queue i'm going to give away a copy of Steve Barden's phenomenally good book, Writing Production Music for TV. And I'm gonna give away a copy of Shortcuts to Hit Songwriting, the paperback edition, which by the way, for all of those people who kept saying, I need it as an ebook, we now offer Robin's book, Shortcuts to Hit Songwriting in three levels. Um, level one, level two, level three. Level one is more the beginner stuff. Level two, a little more advanced. Level three is the pro stuff. All together, they total about 900 and some odd pages. And you can buy the trio as an ebook for under 30 bucks. So check that out at Amazon. There you go. Uh, my computer's running hot. If you hear in the background, it's because the software doesn't like my CPU. We're trying to suss that out, but we didn't want to mess up today's show in order to do it. So, all right. Are you guys ready to play some tag? Oh, by the way, how was your Christmas and your Hanukkah? Um, hope everybody had a great holiday. Um, and tomorrow night, New Year's Eve. What are you doing, huh? Want to come over to the Lasco residence? I'm going to give out the address at the end of the show and you guys can come over. Actually, we're going to be at Shirelli's house. I'm going to give you Shirelli's address. <laughs> that would be funny. Have a couple hundred people show up. Um, okay, so are you guys ready? Randy House Music. Aloha. Are you in Hawaii, Randy? Uh, Aloha. Dave Menser. Wow. Do we have that many people in Hawaii? 
Fentamalonis, hello. Okay, so let us start. Hold on, I might need a sound effect for this. Uh, where is that sound effect? No, this machine, oh, there it is. And now we begin with this month's Taxi Trivia. All right, the first question is, and remember, the first person to get the answer right wins the point. The person with the most points at the end of the day gets the free membership or free renewal. First question is, in what year did Michael, that's me, start Taxi? Dum, 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 dum. Dum, 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 And Johnny Castle, you are the big winner. 1992. Randy House says 1981. <laughs> nope. Much as I would love to say that, that was true, it's not. <laughs> A lot of guesses coming in. 1985, 1998. Peter Rahill says, you guys are quick. That's right. It's like a real game show, Rahill. you got to have your finger on the buzzer and ready to go. I think this episode's going to be over in 20 minutes. Um, I've got a few pages of questions, but if people are going to get the answers that quick, this is going to be a short episode. But what the hell? It's a holiday week. We'd rather be at home playing ping pong. All right. This one's a little bit harder. Um... What was my business partner's name? Who was my business partner when I started the company? And I'll give you a hint. He was my best friend in college, and he became a hair cutter. There you go. Don Felder? Nope. <laughs> Ronnie? Nope. Yeah, I don't see a million pit Ringo star. <laughs> Wendy Lander says, I have no idea. <laughs> Your best friend in college, that guy. Somebody's going to know the answer to this. RuPaul? No, that's my life partner. <laughs> Not my business partner. Uh, who was Michael's partner when I started Taxi? I bought him out about 10 or 12 years ago. Rob Shirelli? Nope. Bill, Phil, come on, somebody's got to get this. I mean, the guy was, you know, involved in the road rally. He answered phones here. Many of you knew him. He was actually much nicer and friendlier than I am. Matt Hurt, Tommy Matola, Barry, <laughs> Phil Spector. <laughs> Michael Lloyd, no. Oh, you guys are guessing. Don't you guys have Google? The man who gave me $100,000. No, actually, if memory serves, the company was founded on $60,000. And he was a hair cutter, so he had money. I'm going to tell you a story while you're guessing at the wrong answer. So he was a hair cutter, uh, and he got tip money. And he would take the tip money and put it in a safety deposit box at the bank. So the day that I flew to the town that he lived in, uh, 
and he and I met with his brother, who was also his accountant. Um, and he said, okay, I'm gonna do the deal. Let's go to the bank. And he came out of the bank with a Ziploc baggie or a shoebox full of dollar bills. Problem is, what they didn't tell him was the sprinkler had gone off in the bank. There was a fire or something that triggered the sprinklers and it flooded the vault where the safety deposit boxes were. He was on the lowest tier of those. So his money got wet and he hadn't opened the box in a couple of years. So the money had like half of the bills had turned to clay. They got wet, they got moldy and eventually they just turned to like, it was clay. And, but you could still see the serial numbers on half of the bills, on, on one half of the bill. So he gave me that stuff. I put it in a Ziploc baggie. I brought it back in an airplane, stuck it in the overhead. Everybody in the, on the flight was like, what the hell smells? I wasn't going to tell him. Anyway, when I took the money to the bank to deposit it, to open up the uh, checking account for taxi and make it a real company, the teller said to me, are you a drug dealer or something? It's like, oh yeah, I would tell you that if I were. No. Uh, anyway, yep, Dan Weber gets it correct. Oh no, Carl Wurzbach got it right. Above you, Michael Letter, correct. Yay, good job, Carl. Um, okay, bonus point. Um, if you can guess his nickname that I have called him since 1972, um, I will give you Steve Barden's wonderful book, Writing Production Music for TV. Uh, and you've got a minute to come up with his nickname, which I don't think you'll find on Google, but many of us who were close friends with him from freshman year in college, not Mikey, nope, uh, up until today, still call him that name and his wife can't stand it leader, master, no, I'm not into any of that weird stuff. <laughs> you called him lead man. The professor, leadhead, McLovin, I like that. <laughs> he probably, his wife would have preferred McLovin over the <laughs> that we called him. All right, nobody's gotten that one, I'll tell you. His nickname was Jaime. Okay, there you go. Um, Led better. No, but I had a sixth grade math teacher, a freshman year in college math teacher named Mr. Ledbetter. No, it was Mr. Roth. Mr. Ledbetter was my sixth grade something or other teacher. Didn't like Mr. Ledbetter. If you're watching the show, Mr. Ledbetter, you sucked as a teacher. Um, okay, we're on to question number three. Wow, this is fun. Are you guys enjoying it so far? The show's going to be over in 15 minutes. <laughs> All right. This one is easy. Let's see how quickly somebody gets it. Which Los Angeles suburb was Taxi first started in? I know, I ended a question with a preposition, but who cares? Which Los Angeles suburb was Taxi founded in? Yes, Dean, go ahead. Email this entire episode to Mr. Ledbetter. I want him to know that I didn't like him. <laughs> Ooh, close, close, close. Cal Pasadena, no. Calabasas, no. Canoga Park, no. Modesto, Chatsworth, Burbank, Calabasas. Woodland Hills. Glenn Johnson gets it with Woodland Hills. 
I still love Woodland Hills. It's only about three minutes away from here, but I had very, very, very fond memories of that town. And every time I drive through it, I get a little bit nostalgic. Okay. And the next question, let's see. This one, you know, all this stuff, I tried to pick stuff that's not really that obscure. I've probably mentioned it on the show at one point or another, and you know me, I've probably repeated myself 10,000 times. So the next question is, what type of building was Taxi started in? What type of building was Taxi started in? Garage. Eric Vargas Music gets it. It was started in an apartment. Eric Vargas, congratulations. That was fast. Dean Turner also got it, but you don't win anything, Dean, because you're a little slow on the draw there. Robbie Hancock. Um, Dan Weber says your bedroom. I do remember a day. My wife was going to get a double master's degree at the exact same time I decided to start the company. And she would usually come back home at like three or four in the afternoon. And there were days when I had screeners there, maybe five, six, seven screeners at a time. And she walked in and there was paperwork, critique forms all over the floor. There wasn't even a path to get in the front door to go to the bedroom. And of course, once she finally did get to the bedroom, there were like five screeners sitting on our bed screening music with boom boxes. And I could just see she got all teary. I just kind of quietly turned around, walked out, went somewhere else. And Starbucks wasn't around then, so she could, like, couldn't go to Starbucks to study. But yes, the company invaded our personal lives. Do you know, here's something that's not on the list, but our 800 number to this day is 1-800-458-2111. And phone numbers, uh, the original phone number for the company, which I think still works, was 818, not the 222 number, no, nope, that's a relatively new one, that one's only 20 years old, um, 818, I think it was, it, was, it ended in 2111, um, anyway, um, the 800 number used to belong to Snyder's pretzels. You know those pretzels you see in every grocery store in America, probably every 7-Eleven, every gas station. And they made they were famous for making these big, super hard pretzels that would like crack your molars. So anyway, uh, we used to get phone calls all the time. First of all, I'd get phone calls in the middle of the night from drunk people. The 800 number rang through to our home phone. We were so broke. We had one wireless phone and that was the entire company. And so I'd be sleeping at four o'clock in the morning and get a phone call from a drunk guy saying, you know, I'm at such and such a bar, at such and such an address. I'd say, no problem, Mac, we'll be there in 15 minutes and hang up. Um, the other thing is we used to take orders for Snyder's pretzels quite frequently <laughs> because the 800 number we got used to belong to Snyder's. So we would take um, Sarah Tippish, Sarah, I can't say the word. No, I'm not drinking while I'm working. Um, we would take uh, fake orders for the pretzels on a fair, fairly regular basis. And then there was also a company that sold clothing that appealed mostly to little old ladies, very sweet little old ladies. 
and their phone number, their 800 number, was one digit different than the taxi numbers. So we used to get calls for years, I mean, probably up until we moved into this building. Ooh, there's a question. What year did we move to Calabasas? Um, anyway, we would get calls from sweet little old ladies, and there were people on the staff that would take their orders for, like, Christmas sweaters and stuff, and nobody was actually taking the orders. That's how mean we are. We would prank little old ladies. Yep, um, Snyder's of Hanover. That's it. Those were the pretzel people. So uh, there you go. There is our very sad history, stuff that I'm not proud about, but I will happily tell you on this episode of Taxi TV. Okay, uh, let's see. All right, question number five. Which famous guitar player was in the first group of taxi screeners? Which famous guitar player? I think he's famous worldwide. He was one of our very first screeners at Taxi. Wow, Brad Gray, you are so fast. Yes, it was Skunk Baxter of Steely Dan and Doobie Brothers fame. Unfortunately, Skunk, who actually loved Taxi, he was like this really big fan of the idea and was so proud to be affiliated with us. Um, unfortunately, he was famous for riding around in his pickup truck and, and he called me one day and he said, dude, I don't think I can come to the office and sit there for hours and scream music, but I really want to do this. I want to share what I know with people. It's such a cool idea. Is it okay if I screen music from my truck when I'm stuck in traffic on the 405? And I said, mm, no, not so much. But he literally wanted to put the cassettes in because uh, back then automobiles had cassette players and, and do the screening while he was on the road. So anyway, uh, now we did keep in touch for several years. And if we run into each other to this day, he still remembers who I am. And I've got a picture of like the original five or six or seven screeners and my partner, Michael Letter, and I took them out for dinner on the west side of a place called the L.A. Farm. And I remember um, when we got the pictures back because digital cameras hadn't been invented yet, at least not in our world. And uh, for some reason, the film got stuck in the camera. So we had like 10 different exposures of the screener dinner um, all on one frame of film. So we never really got good shots. That's right. Jim Stamper says um, Jeff Baxter, uh, Skunk Baxter, is also a missile defense expert. There's a video on YouTube. Um, you can Google him and find him talking. I mean, he has the highest level of security clearance you can get from the U.S. government. He goes to the Pentagon regularly, and there's a video of him where he is clearly, and he's not hiding it, so I'm not telling tales out of school. Let's just say he didn't get the name Skunk for no reason, so he may have been smoking some skunk weed before he went to do his little presentation for the generals. It's pretty funny got to watch it. So Google that sometime if you're like up really late and can't sleep and need something that it's not all that exciting, but it's funny for a couple of minutes. Okay, moving on to question number six. What did we call the method of wrapping your lyric sheet and submission form around your cassette when making a submission to Taxi? I'll repeat that one because it's complicated. 
What did we call the method of wrapping your lyric sheet and submission form around your cassette when making a submission to Taxi? Wow, you are so fast. Darren Fletcher got that one right off the bat and we called it a burrito. A lot of you guys got that one right. Good job, Darren Fletcher. Wow, look at that. All you guys are getting that one right. <laughs> Jim Stamper says, dang it, I was stuck on enchilada. You know, that's the funny thing about Mexican food. It's kind of like um, sushi. It's always like the same ingredients in just some different form. Like I'm convinced that like a taco and a burrito, that's the same stuff, just a different shell, right? Um, enchilada, same thing. It's just flat. Um, let's see, those little cigar-shaped things, same stuff. It's all the same stuff. All right. Good job, you guys. All right. This one, you may know the answer to this. Um, oh, I feel a sneeze coming out. This morning I had a sneezing attack right before I walked out of the house for like 10 minutes straight. I was sneezing harder than I've ever sneezed in my life. Don't know what the heck happened. If it happens during the show, Ariana's on the other side of the desk for me. She's going to have to come over and finish the episode. I literally, no matter how much I blew my nose, no matter what I sprayed in my nose, I couldn't get the sneezing to stop. All right, and the question is, what year did we hold the first taxi road rally? In what year did we hold the first taxi road rally? Brad Gray gets it. 1997. How are you guys getting these so fast? Wow, good job, Brad. Other guys are close. There's a lot of 97, 99, 98, 96, 98, 95, 96. What year? Fentham alone, it says November. <laughs> Good job, Fen. <laughs> and you spelled it wrong. November. <laughs> oh, man. You guys crack me up. 1989, Russell Nolan. The company wasn't even in my head yet in 1989. Where was I in 1989? So we were having, we went to an engagement party yesterday morning. Some close friends of ours have a lovely young daughter who's about 30 and she got engaged. So we went and I don't know, there were like 40, 50 people sitting at a big long table and having brunch, you know, and the guy sitting across from me goes, uh, so what do you do? And I said, I'm in the music business. And he said, wow, have you ever worked with anybody famous? And I said, yeah, um, let's see. And I rattled off a couple names. I got to Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. And he goes, who's that? And the guy had to be like 35 years old. He had no idea who Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young were. I was heartbroken. Yeah, I'd, uh, Rogan, I would re-fire up your browser. It sounds... Uh, like you're lagging. Let's see, Dean, that would make Michael 12. Why am I 12 when I found a taxi? Now I was, I think I was 37 when I founded the company. 
Okay. Um, <laughs> Carl Wersbeck says Crosby Stills Nash and who? Okay, so we determined that the first road rally was held in 1997. What Los Angeles suburb was the first road rally held in? What Los Angeles suburb was the first road rally held in? <laughs> ben Tamalonis was born in 1992. We have staff members that weren't born when I started the company. That's a little scary to me. Century City, Culver City, Modesto, <laughs> not, not a suburb of LA. El Segundo, no, but I do like the name of that. Yes, I can see your post, Rogs. What Los Angeles suburb? No, it was a one-bedroom apartment. We did not hold the road rally in my apartment. <laughs> We definitely separated home, at least as far as, you know, the public went, uh, the members. Um, although, you know, it, it got to the point where members were dropping off burritos and they would show up at the front door. That was a little scary sometimes. Woodland Hills. I think Glenn Johnson was first on that. Glenn, you got it again, dude. Good job, Woodland Hills it was. Okay, now um, I'm gonna add a bonus question. Which hotel in Woodland Hills did we hold the road rally at? Which hotel in beautiful Woodland Hills, California did we hold the first road rally at? And while you guys are Googling that, <laughs> I will tell you that it used to be so much easier to put on a road rally because we did the entire event in one ballroom and it was two days long. So we just did like four panels on Saturday, four panels on Sunday, and at night we held an open mic in the hotel bar. The Hilton, Brad Gray gets it. I think he was the first one, right? Brad Gray gets it. Yep, the Woodland Hills Hilton. I think Johnny Castle. Oh, Johnny Castle might have gotten it first. Can you scroll up and check? Oh, no, you're right, Brad Gray. Brad Gray. No, you got it, Brad Gray. You're it, buddy. Good job. Johnny Castle, there is a Marriott in Woodland Hills. I've been to weddings there. I spent the night there once my what do you call it uh, the rehearsal dinner for our wedding was actually held at that marriott ooh pat wara wants to know what year did jeffrey Steele attend the road rally i think that was my first road rally i don't remember all i remember is the concert we did in the lobby at the end of the road rally and he blew the doors off that place i also remember looking over and seeing an entire um flight crew there were like 25 flight attendants from probably like asiana airlines something and they were asian young asian ladies and they were dancing and clapping like this it was the cutest thing ever and their little uniforms they just looked so thrilled to get like a free concert in a hotel lobby 
Um, Dan Weber wants to know, will Prescott Niles ever join you for a show? Yeah, Prescott's actually been on Taxi TV. It's probably been a while. Maybe it's time to bring him back. Um, Ed Busacker says, please check the burrito answers again. On my screen, I was first. I did. It was Darren Fletcher. She said she did, and it was Darren Fletcher. Sorry, Ed. Um... Okay, moving on. What was the name of the song Kenny Rogers got because of a taxi connection that resulted in him having his first number one single in 25 years? What was the name of the Kenny Rogers hit that was, it started with taxi, um, ended up with a publisher because of Taxi and landed in Kenny Rogers' hands for like the third time and he finally cut it. What was the name of that song? Whoa, man, you guys knew that one. Uh, I'm gonna make sure, not The Gambler. I think Fentamalonis got that one correct with Buy Me a Rose, you were the first. Good job, Fen. You may be young, but you're well-informed. Okay. And riffing on that, who were the songwriters for that song? Who were the songwriters for Buy Me a Rose? <laughs> Peter Rahill, two guys. Thanks, Rahill. Your contributions are not only numerous, they are extremely valuable. <laughs> Nope, Dolly Parton didn't write it. Fentamalonis, fastest hand on Google so far. Uh, Eric Hickenlooper and Jim Funk. Two of the nicest people you could ever want to meet. Not Jimmy Webb. I wish Jimmy Webb, I've tried twice to get Jimmy Webb to come to the road rally. The guy is booked like two years in advance. Really hard to get him. I, I know him, we've met. He knows all about the road rally. Well, I haven't talked to him about it in like 10 years because I finally gave up. Um, Funk and Hickenlooper, I know. It sounds like an accounting firm, right? Remember the TV show Laugh-In where they always talked about Funk and Wagdles, I think, encyclopedia or dictionary? Um, Alfred Hitchcock and Molly Ringwald. No cast. I'm pretty sure they weren't the songwriters, but that was a good effort. Um, okay. Next question. What model year? And this one, by the way, uh, are, eh, no, I'm not going to give a book away yet. That one got one already, right? Uh, no, that one, Huh? No one oh, no one question. answered it? Okay. Then this one, once again, is still for writing production music for TV by Steve Barden. And the question is, so remember, the first person who gets this one wins the book and gets the point. What model year is the checker cab that Taxi owns? What model year is the checker cab? You guys are already, you know, not 1956, not 1955. Paul Jacques gets it. 1968. It was a very good year for checker cabs. Okay, 
And now I'm going to ask you a question that's not on my list, but it doesn't get any more trivial than this. So congratulations, um, Paul Jacques. You have won this incredibly good book. And you got a point. So now, let's see who can get this right. What tool do you use to change any of the body panels on a checker automobile? What tool can you use to change any of the body panels on a checker car, automobile? Not a wrench, not a hammer, not a screwdriver, not an awl, not your hands, AAA app. <laughs> <laughs> screwdriver, hammer, 916th, crowbar, screwdriver. Everybody's got, I guarantee you, every person watching the show has this tool. And I'll tell you why that tool, why the car was designed that way. Pliers, Johnny Castle wins again. Pliers it was, and here's why. Although I've got to say, I was told this by a gentleman who is the president of the Southern California chapter of the Checker Cab Club of America. Um, the reason that, you, that they designed the car so you could change any panel on it with a pair of pliers was because the vast majority of checkers were used as taxi cabs. So driving in New York City, for instance, I know this from personal experience. Almost any time you drive in New York City, you're gonna get a little side swipe. Happens all the time. I would get rental cars a lot of times and I can't tell you how many rental cars I brought back with yellow paint on them. Um, so they didn't want the cabs riding around with smushed in fenders. So they actually made it so that any cabbie could go into the garage where they worked and they could take off a rear quarter panel with a pair of pliers and get another one that was freshly painted yellow and put it on in like 15 minutes all by their lonesome. Um, so I don't know if that's urban legend. I think I actually looked that up online and found out that it was true. Uh, there's a great movie with Richard Pryor and somebody else, can't remember who else was in it. And it was a movie about two guys who worked at the Checker Automobile Plant in Detroit in the 80s and they did a lot of partying they were abusing a lot of inhalable drugs if you catch and i'm not talking like bill clinton inhalable i'm talking about richard pryor what did richard blue what blue collar. blue collar very good um gene wilder and richard pryor yep uh, in a movie called blue collar that was funny and depressing and had lots of drug abuse in it all at the same time it's a classic just saying, not not as classic as Caddyshack. I think we had somebody on the staff the other day that said, Ariana, have you ever seen Caddyshack? Mm -hmm. Good, she gets an A, she's seen it. <laughs> I mean, somebody, was it Bria that said she hadn't seen Caddyshack? How can you be alive and not have seen Caddyshack? Possibly the greatest movie ever made, right? For those who've seen it, I mean, really, think about it. Ten Commandments, not as good as Caddyshack. Um, what was the one, uh, the Civil War movie with Scarlett O'Hara? Um, Gone, Gone with the Wind, not as good as Caddyshack. 
Okay. <laughs> the gopher dance. Yep. Free base. That's what you get when somebody hits a home run into the stands and you get to run around those white things. Free base. Okay. Animal House is better than Caddyshack. Well, Paul, that's a matter of opinion now, isn't it? <laughs> It says Animal House had no golfing in it. So for those of us who golf, Caddyshack is a classic. All right. Here is a trivia question. This has nothing to do with taxi, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Who was the sexy, blonde, young lady that was, what was her name, the character name in Caddyshack? She was the apple of Bill Murray's eye. The sexy young lady in Caddyshack. Cindy Morgan was her real name, not the character name. Cindy Morgan, and Google Cindy Morgan today, just for kicks. Not that I've ever done, but I've heard. Oh, Margo, you got half of it. Her last name sounds like something like there you go. Lacey Underall. Sounds like pantyhose, doesn't it? Very good. Pat Wara gets that one. Lacey Underall. I don't know that Cindy Morgan was ever in another movie after that, but her performance in that film was spectacular. It was Oscar-worthy. Um, okay. Back to taxi trivia. What was the name of the studio in which Michael started his career? What was the name of the studio in which Michael, that's me, started my career? John Van Hout, music gets it. Criteria, I'll even accept that less than wonderful spelling. <laughs> What? Somebody got it first? Oh, Eric B. got it first. I'm sorry. Sorry, John. Eric B. right above you. He got it first. Yep. Criteria Studios, my alma mater. I love that place. I'm so proud to have started my career there. Worked with many, many, many wonderful people. I was going to ask you, I'm not going to do this question because I think a person or two already spilled the beans on this one. Uh, but this is, I'm just saying it rhetorically now. This is not for any points. It was in Miami, Florida. The sun and fun capital of the world, by the way. Um, okay, so the next question, which is a valid question, and it is for points. How old was Michael, meaning me, when I got that job? How old was I when I got my job at Criteria Studios in beautiful Miami, Florida? Twenty-five? Nope. Eleven? Nope. Sixteen? Nope. Sixteen? Whoa! Slow down. Marion Laird? Nope. Darren Fletcher, I think, got that one. Nineteen years old. Nineteen years old hard for even me to believe that. Um, 
I just went, as I, I know I've mentioned this on the show before, but I've got a lot of time to burn today, so you're going to get a story. Oh, actually, you know what? I'm not going to tell the story because there's a question later that relates. Now, nah, I'm not going to say, how old are you now? Um, I am, you know what? Let's see how many of you guys can get this right. How old is Michael Lasko today? You don't have to get it like down to the day or the hour. How old am I now? This is a valid question, good for a point. It looks like McCall Music, Deb and Keith got it. I'm 65 years old. That is true. RKR has the best guess so far, 39. I like you. <laughs> yep, I'm 65, so I have been in the industry. Do the math on that. Is it possible I've been in the music industry for God, 46 years? Thank you to all the folks telling me that I look incredibly good. <laughs> uh, you should see when I take the mask off and the wig, it's hideous under there. <laughs> Do you ever get tired of music? I've got to be honest. Yes. Um, I will admit to, I love music, I really do. I'm passionate about it, but it's extremely hard for me to just listen to a song and not listen to it as an engineer, as a producer, as a taxi screener, you know, as an A&R person. There are moments, there are times that I've been in my car and cranked up the radio and heard a song and went, wow, what a great song. I just loved it for what it was. But I would say like 98% of the time when I listen to music, I'm listening going, I can't believe the producer made that choice over this choice, or I can't believe the engineer didn't notice this sounds like crap, or I can't believe they didn't pull a better vocal out of that vocalist in the chorus, or I can't believe that they did, you know, whatever it is, um, I'm always picking music apart. It's um, occupational hazard, that's what it is. Okay. You ready for another one? Because I know I am. What was the first album that I got a gold record for? What was the first album, the first record that I got a gold record for? And Ariana, you're going to have to watch the list carefully in this one because I'm going to reach back in my backpack and grab myself an Advil. How many Advil are in this bottle? Charles Wilson was close, but you're wrong. Oh, Darren Fletcher, got it. Darren, you are on fire, dude. Firefall. I did work on Ballroom Streets. I did work on Comes a Time. Um, funny, I was in the A&R office here at Taxi, I don't know, a few weeks ago. And... Um, we were searching for something and found two albums that I worked on that I had literally forgotten. Um, it was a band called The Reds and another band I can't remember. 
from the UK. I just don't even remember their name. But I want to say the Reds were from Philadelphia. And Mike Thorne was producing them, if I remember correctly. He was the guy that did Tainted Love, and he actually tracked me down and asked me to engineer that record. And as much as the guys in the band were sweet, and I enjoyed working with Mike Thorne, but I got to tell you, it was the most boring record in the world to work on, and here's why. Is Mike Thorne, the Tainted Love guy, had a synclavier. Uh, for those of you who know what a synclavier is, a, a very fancy and expensive keyboard-driven sampling device back in the day. And so even though this band, I hope I'm not confusing them with the other band from the UK, but I think it was the Reds from Philadelphia, Mike Thorne producing, and they had a great vocalist. Uh, the bass player played an upright bass. Mike Thorne sampled every drum every note on the the neck of the upright bass and basically the entire record came down one wire into the patch bay and onto the tape machine a track at a time from the synclavier it was lifeless cold boring and the poor guys in the band would just sit there in the control room like trying to stay awake and i could just see it on their faces all they wanted to do was go out in the room and be a band and play but nope um, wow, Charles Wilson says, yep, I remember them. You might be the only guy that bought that record, Charles. I didn't remember them, and I worked on the record for months, if I remember correctly, and I still had totally forgotten about it until like six months ago. That's right. Excuse me, I just swallowed some Advil, and now I feel much better already. Um yeah, all music. It's funny. I can go, like, I look at it like once or twice a year, and every now and then something pops up on there and go, oh, I can't believe that they just found that out now, and I can't believe I didn't remember working with that band. Um, the X Files use that. They use what? A Synclavier or the band The Reds? <laughs> WrestleMania, the soundtrack? Gidget at the Beach? What the hell are you guys talking about? Anyway, okay, moving on. <laughs> Paul Croteau wants me to tell the history of the taxi domain name acquisition. Looks like I got it in 1995. I did get it in 1995, and you know what? It's actually kind of a cute story, so I will tell you. And I'm going to make it longer than it needs to be because I've got a burn time. Um, I was give, doing like a taxi get-together at a place in the North Shore of Chicago in a store called Gand Music, owned by a guy named Gary Gand. It was kind of like a guitar center size and style store. And so many people turned out to hear about taxi that the fire marshal wouldn't let us stay in the store. And this was like January of 1995, maybe February. And if you've ever been in Chicago in the wintertime, it was friggin' cold, like impossibly cold. Anyway, some guy in the crowd says, well, let's take it out to the parking lot, man. I got a pickup truck, you can stand in the back. So I stood in the bed of this guy's pickup truck 
doing my little taxi seminar for a couple of hours and my phone, uh, I had a flip phone back then because that's all you could get, I could feel it vibrating like crazy in my pocket. So while I, when I finished up the, the speech or whatever, um, I look at the flip phone and it was a guy named Michael who was calling me over and over and over again, like five or six calls, desperately trying to get through to me. So I call him back. He had done, we only existed on AOL under keyword taxi at the time. Um, and if I remember, Michael was the editor publisher of Fender Frontline Magazine, and it was a quarterly magazine, and I wrote articles on how to record guitars for Fender Frontline Magazine. As a matter of fact, they gave me a really nice Strat and a really cool little tweed amp for doing that once. So I was very grateful, and I still have them both, so thank you, Fender. Um, anyway, uh, this guy's calling me up, and he goes, there's this new thing, and it's called the Internet, and you've got to have an Earl. I was like, what the heck are you talking about? What do you mean, an URL? He goes, it's a URL and you've got to have one. I said, well, what, what is it? And what, you know, like I knew nothing. And he said, no, you, you've got to get an URL and it's got to be taxi.com. And I said, okay, well, can you just use your credit card and get it? I'm flying home tomorrow and I'll reimburse you. And he goes, it's not that easy. Somebody else already owns it. And I said, who? And he goes, well, you're lucky. The guy who owns it lives in Los Angeles. So I think I actually flew back that night because it sounded really important. So I think I flew back on a red eye. Next morning, I find out that the guy who owns it is an 18-year-old who works at an ad agency on the west side of Los Angeles. And they had a client called Takeout Taxi that was kind of uh, like Grubhub or something back in the day. So I got the kid's number because I could see his registration for the domain name. And I called him up and I said, hi, my name's Michael and I want to buy your domain name. I will give you $500 for it. And at the time, I think Taxi had $2,200 in the bank. Um, you know, we were always just like barely alive <laughs> financially. Uh, anytime we'd get a $300 check, I'd run right to the uh, bank with it. Woo, we got money. Anyway, I offered the kid 500 bucks, and he thought about it. And he went, mm, nah, I think I can sell it to take out taxi for more. Now you gotta remember, he probably registered the name for like $12 or $30, something you know, pretty nominal back then. Um, he was the first owner. So I hung up the phone and I thought, wow, you know, that guy Michael was like freaking out that I had to have taxi.com. So I called the kid back like 15 minutes later and I said, tell you what kid, I will get a bank check for $2,000 and I will drive it over to West LA. I will be there in an hour. And he went, okay. So I went to the bank and I took almost all the money we had out of the account and I drove over to West LA and I met the kid and we sat down at a computer together and we did the transfer and I handed him the bank check for $2,000 and that's how I got taxi.com. So there you go, a little bit of taxi lore. Yep, that was a good move. It's worth more than 2,000 bucks now. Um, okay, on to a next question. Um, when, oh, Dan Weber wants to know, when did I start advertising in music magazines? Um, right from the get-go. Literally, I would spend almost our entire budget on advertising. I would take out those 
ads you see in the right-hand column, they're like, a, I think they're called a third page tower or something like that. And I remember they were about 800 to $1,100 a pop, depending on which magazine you were in. And then one day I saw a book that said, if you're gonna advertise, you have to have a full page ad and showed a good layout for an ad. And um, so I changed our ads and our business doubled overnight with the change of the ads. So there you go. Okay, uh, next question. On which album did Michael engineer several songs but only got a platinum album and no credits on the liner notes? Which album did I engineer a significant number of songs on but nobody, myself included, from you know the engineering department as it were, no engineers, no assistant engineers, no studios got a credit. It looks like Justin Mather gets it right with Russ Never Sleeps. Neil sent me a platinum album. Yep, that was Neil Young. He sent me a platinum album, maybe Warner Brothers sent, I don't know who, and never did I get a credit. I just recently got the gold record for that because he didn't send me or they didn't send me um, a gold record. So I actually found a place that uh, you had to call up and show that you know you were actually on the record which is hard to do considering i had no credit so i had to take a picture of the platinum record with my name on it in order for this company to make me an official gold record with my name on it <laughs> oh man um beatles white album yeah that was it i engineered that sucker <laughs> i wish uh here's one i don't know that anybody will get this one right but I want to challenge you because so far I've made this too easy. How many cubicles are there in Taxi's screening room? How many cubicles are there in Taxi's screening room? Do you know Ariana? She doesn't. <laughs> I only know because I had to pay for them. <laughs> Brad Gray wins the day. There are 14 cubicles. Wow. That's impressive. Brad, did you just guess at that number? There are 14 cubicles. And sadly, a lot of them sit there empty now because so many of our screeners um, from back in the day that were like really strong, great screeners that we loved have moved to Nashville. One lives in Denver now. So people work remotely and the screener cubicles that they used to occupy sit there empty. Good job on that. Paul Croteau says 42 is the answer to everything. Okay. <laughs> uh, this is an easy one. How many road rallies has Taxi hosted so far? How many road rallies has Taxi hosted so far? Or as we say in the business world, how many road rallies have we hosted to date? Looks like Darren Fletcher wins another one. 23, first guy out of the gate. Yep, 23. The one coming up will be 24. Can you believe it? I can't. Every year I say, that's it, never doing another one, and somehow there have been 23 of those suckers. Oh, this is a good one. Um, you know what? I'm going to give away a songwriting book because this one is about songwriting. 
Let's give away a copy of Robin Frederick's classic book and bestseller, I might add, Shortcuts to Hit Songwriting, <clears throat> the paperback edition, old school. The, we can't give away the um, ebook for some reason. They don't let us do that. Um, so yeah, whoever gets this answer right, first person to answer it, not only wins a point, but gets a copy of Shortcuts to Hit Songwriting. If you haven't read this book, you are missing out. And as always, I'm the publisher. If you get this book and find that it's not wonderful, send it back to me personally in resellable condition and I will personally refund your money. Other publishers won't do that because they're not cool. We're cool at Taxi. Um, okay, the question is, which famous Motown songwriter <clears throat> was a Lifetime Achievement Award recipient at the Taxi Road Rally. Which famous Motown songwriter was a Lifetime Achievement Award recipient at the Taxi Road Rally? This one's so easy. Randy House wins it. Lamont Dozier. That's funny. The first two people who got it right, Randy House and Ann House, was the second person to get it right. Are you guys housemates? <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Any chance for a corny joke and I will take it. I gotta tell you, that was one of my favorite interviews at the Road Rally. That's right up there with the Ken Collet thing. Um, and Jonathan came for that matter. I really enjoyed both of those a lot. Um, by the way, the Taxi Newsletter just came out today with some great new photos that you guys haven't seen from the Road Rally yet. Um, but yeah, Lamont Dozier, you know, uh, I said to him, where do you get the ideas for your songs? And he said, it's as if God opens up the top of my head, just pours them in there. And you could tell he absolutely meant it, and I believe him. Uh, he was such a special guy. Uh, a couple days before the rally, my wife and I went out to dinner with Lamont and his wife. And the whole time, I, I was like a kid in a candy store. He's just... First of all, he's the sweetest guy ever. Second of all, it's like you feel like you're hanging out with Abraham Lincoln or something. I mean, there's just so much history that this guy has seen and been an integral part of. Just fascinating, fascinating. So here's a, a great short story about that night that Deb and I went out to dinner <laughs> with his wife, Barbara. Um, we were at a restaurant on Ventura Boulevard, I think in Encino, which is where they live. So... Um, we got a seat, I uh, can't remember if it was a booth or not, table, whatever, right up against a window that looked out at the sidewalk. And I had to go to the men's room. I said to Deb, keep an eye out for Lamont and Barbara. They're a mixed race couple, so they'll be pretty easy to identify. And she says, no problem, honey. <laughs> I come back from the restroom. My wife is standing up, waving her arms like this at, at the window, looking out at the sidewalk. And there's a couple with a black gentleman and a white wife or girlfriend, whatever. And they're looking at my wife going, what the hell is your problem, lady? Their jaws were hanging down. They were just like speechless. It was a different mixed race couple. <laughs> the, the look on that poor couple's face was just awesome. We told when Lamont and Barbara got there, we told them they sat down at the table. I think Barbara couldn't catch her breath for a good five minutes. She thought it was the funniest thing she'd heard in a long time. Uh, Margot 
Malia Music says, hello, I'm totally new to Taxi. It took me 20 years to sign up. It's never too late. That's right, Margo. We're glad to have you aboard. Excuse me. I'm glad that you joined. Um, hang out on the forum, forums.taxi.com, and get to know your fellow members. They will be the greatest resource that you will have. Okay. Uh, which member, this next question for a point, which member of the band the band, the band, was also an honoree at a taxi road rally. Which member of the band was also an honoree at the taxi road rally? And I will, whoa, Robbie Hancock got it. I don't know if we call this cheating or not because the dude has the same first name, Robbie Robertson. Good job, Robbie Hancock. I got to tell you, I was a little nervous. He was incredibly easy to interview. It was really easy. When you're interviewing somebody live on a stage, you have to really absorb their answers. You can't just like let them answer and you're thinking about the next question because if you don't hear what they say, you may not be able to come back with a comeback or a follow-on question. So you really have to pay attention. So with one ear, you're paying attention to them. And with one of your eyes, you're scanning your other notes and trying to decide in the moment, okay, based on the way he answered this question, should I go to the next question on my list or should I jump down three questions because that's more apropos? So you're doing all this calculus in your head while you're interviewing. Robbie Robertson was so quick and so interesting that he totally screwed me up, man. I was nervous to meet him anyway. He's one of the few people that I've ever had on that stage that I didn't have dinner with. I didn't know him beforehand. I didn't have dinner with him. So like the first time I met him was like three minutes before we walked on stage. And I've got to tell you, the entire time I was doing that interview, I started out thinking, wow, I can't believe I get to interview this guy. Five minutes into it, I thought, I look like an idiot up here. And I hope he doesn't realize that I'm totally butchering this interview. Afterwards, he walked up to me backstage and gave me a hug and he said, that was one of the best interviews I've ever done. Thank you for asking such good questions. So you know what? Even an old veteran like Robbie Robertson doesn't know it when the guy interviewing him has totally blown it. So there you go. Yes, he is Canadian. Um, great guy. Okay, uh, moving on. You've got to be a really old taxi member or one that's been around for a very long time to remember this. What was painted on the chest of the fully naked guy who stood up in the ballroom at the road rally? Yes, a guy actually stood up at the road rally. We weren't at the West End yet. We were still at the Renaissance Airport Hotel on 96th Street in Los Angeles. And in the middle of like an A&R listening panel, some dude stands up in about the 10th row center section and he's stark raving naked. I mean, not even socks, totally naked. And he had something written on his chest in four inch high letters. We've got photos. I was going to dig out a photo, and then I remembered if I held up the photo, it would be like pornography because there are parts of his body showing. Um, I love you, Michael. Nope. He did not have I love you, Michael, painted on his chest. Soy bomb? No. For sale? No. American flag? No. It was words. It was two words. I'll tell you that. The first word started with U, the second word started with B. Uh, 
just cropped the photo. Yeah, I could put my thumb over his private parts. Land shark? Nope. Somebody had to be in the room that day. Of course, everybody was in so much shock, they probably didn't even notice what was on his chest. Seriously? Up yours. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Um, none of you A&R people sign me. Up yours. Useless bum. Wow, Dean, I, I should almost give you the point for coming up with that one. I don't think anybody's going to get this one. I'll tell you what. I, I will dig out that photo and put it in an upcoming underbottom. Nope, I will put it in an upcoming tag. Or maybe, you know, I don't know if we can take his photograph and put it out on social media. I would obviously black out the important stuff. Um, our, he wasn't arrested, but our sound guy at the time looked like the guy in, on the bounty um, paper towel thing. He was like a big lumberjack kind of guy with a beard, big big dude. And, and the sound guy picked this naked guy up over his shoulder and carried him out like a log over his shoulder with his private parts flapping around in the wind. And I remember seeing women on the aisle of the ballroom going like, ew, when the guy was being carried out of the ballroom. It was gross. It was just plain gross. Anyway, it said, unknown boy. And you know what? He's still unknown because I don't know that we ever figured out what his name was. Um, Glenn Johnson's asking, hey, Bria, it's actually um, Ariana today. Out of interest, do you have your chat set up to top chat or live chat? It seems to alter the order. Um, what's your best and worst experiences working with favorite artists of yours? You know, that's a whole other episode. Let's get back to questions. Um, all right. This one I've talked about numerous times um, on the show. Ariana will know the answer to this because she and I were just talking about this, I think, like a week or so ago. Which single song does Michael think is the best performed engineered and best produced song of modern musical history. Which single song does Michael think is the best performed, engineered, and produced song in modern music history? Darren Fletcher gets it. Asia by Steely Dan. Wow, you guys actually pay attention when I say stuff on the show? Yep. Asia. Love that. And if you're not extremely familiar with the song, listen to it about two-thirds of the way through. Steve Gadd actually hits his sticks. I think he was like crossing over and whacked his sticks in time, and they just left it on the record. Uh, Barbie Girl, yes, that's my second favorite one. Um, and what's the other one that I love so much? Um, Friday by Rebecca Black is among my favorites. And Baby Shark, that's another one that I listen to incessantly. I just love the vocal on that one. <laughs> um, not Adriana, uh, Ariana. But we only try and associate with people that have similar letters in their names. Adriana was here last week. Adriana um, Lisette was here with her daughter, who was adorable, and brought me lemon cookies. She was a sweetheart. Um, Asia by Greasy Pan. There you go, Cass. <laughs> All right. Uh, 
Oh, this one should be easy. And it's extremely rare that we ever give out a screener number, so consider yourselves lucky. Um, who was screener number 12? Who was screener number 12 at Taxi? Not Katy Perry. I should have kept my mouth shut. Anne House gets it. It was the late, great John Brahaney. Okay, uh, this one should be fairly easy. Um, name two huge female songwriters who have received Taxi's Lifetime Achievement Awards. Two huge female songwriters who have received Taxi's Lifetime Achievement Awards. I'm keeping my mouth shut. Some of you are close. But you gotta have two. Gotta have two to take the prize. I will tell you, Katy Perry was not one of them. Do you guys ever remember seeing Carrie, Katy Perry at a road rally? Come on, wake up. <laughs> and House wins another one, even though she slightly misspelled the first name. Cara Diaguardi and Diane Warren. That's the correct answer. And if you don't know who Cara Diaguardi is, look her up. Oh yeah, not Cara Diaguardia. Whew, baby, I made the mistake of calling her that. <laughs> She jumped down my throat. We ended up becoming very good friends, but uh, let's see. Do I have time for another story? Yeah, I don't know. Okay, quick story. So um, I'd heard of this young, hot songwriter uh, named Cara Diaguardi. I was at the then-called Kauai Songwriters Conference, I believe, or Kauai with a K, not Hawaii, which it now is, uh, and I got invited to this thing, and they asked me if I would moderate a panel. And I think it was like a listening panel, or maybe it was the A&R panel. I don't know. Anyway, so I think I'm trying to get the order of events that day correct. Anyway, so I go in, and I'm announcing who my panelists are, and... Now, that's the wrong order. Sorry, I'm butchering this story. I've been known to do that as well. Uh, okay, so I'm walking by the pool, the hotel pool, and I see an attractive young lady in a bikini at the pool. And I glanced, that's it, just kept walking, no big deal. And about 20 minutes later, um, I got invited to a luncheon. Uh, Chris Christofferson uh, was there, and they had a private luncheon for industry people and Chris Christofferson. And it was in a relatively small, like, mini ballroom kind of thing at the hotel. Uh, 
and they had um, uh, like buffet style set up. So I'm standing in line waiting to get my hotel chicken and the young lady who was out at the pool was either in front of me or behind me and she's wearing a bikini top and like a kind of see-through wraparound thing on the bottom. And I turned to her and being the jerk that I am, I said to her, oh, you didn't get the memo, it's dressy. <laughs> she just looked at me like, you are such an ass, shut up. Um, she did not like me. And about an hour after lunch, I was moderating the panel and in walks the young lady now fully clothed and she was Cara Diaguardi, who was really starting to take off as a hit songwriter then. I think her first hit was probably, uh, she had a Kylie Minogue hit very early in her career. Not early in her career, but that was her first early hit. So she had that one and several under, others under her belt. And I introduced her as Cara Diaguardia. And she stood up and looked at me and she said, listen, if you're going to moderate the panel, you should at least be able to pronounce the names of your panelists correctly. It's like, oh man, I was so embarrassed. But that was her revenge for me making the snide remark about her being dressed a little informally at the luncheon. Anyway, we talked after that and it took a little while, but we became very good friends and I still count her as a good friend and I know how to pronounce her name correctly now. So thank you, Kara, for setting me straight. Um, what year? Boy, if you guys don't get this one, what year did Taxi start broadcasting Taxi TV episodes? Nineteen ninety-two. Nope. Twenty fifteen. Nope. Nineteen ninety-two again. Two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Square Business Entertainment wins the day with twenty ten. Good job, Square Business. Zero Dark Thirty. One of the greatest movies ever made, by the way. Love that movie. I've probably seen that movie like thirty times. And I'm not exaggerating. Okay, a related question. What video broadcast service did Taxi TV start broadcasting on? What service did we use prior to moving over to YouTube? <laughs> uh, what was the name of the, Robbie Hancock wins it, Ustream, which I just slipped and almost said, Ustream. My, how far we've come. Do you remember how sketchy the service was back then? Oh my goodness. It was painful. I mean, just the quality, not that good. The, you know, lagginess and, oh man. I remember poor Marion Laird between her slow modem, her slow internet connection in her dodgy computer and our dodgy broadcaster. Poor Marion was always like about an hour behind on everything. I felt for you. My heart went out every episode for you. <laughs> um, this one's so easy. What is the name on the clap machine Michael uses on Taxi TV? This one right here. That one. Yeah, there you go. 
looks better when I don't cover my actually probably looks better when I do cover my face. What's the name on the other side of this baby that makes oh somebody got it all right. That sound. Yep. Ryan Harmon Music gets it right with iCarly. There you go, iCarly. Priceless piece of gear. They don't, you know, this one has tubes. Now they're solid state and they don't sound that good. Okay. Uh, nope, I don't use the yellow one. <laughs> Dan Weber says we are now officially taxi nerds. Yes, you are. But I'm the chief taxi nerd, so there you go. Um, this one I mentioned on the show recently, um, probably a couple times right before the road alley. Which part of our 1968 Checker Cab did we have to get repaired prior to this year's road alley? Which part of the 1968 Checker Cab did we have to get repaired before this year's, this past year's road rally? Not the bumper. Charles Wilson gets it. The brakes. The car had no brakes. I mean, we're talking no brakes. The only way to stop that car was run over a person or run it into a wall or hit another car. It got so bad that when I brought it up out of the hotel's garage for the 2018 road rally, I seriously thought I was going to run over some pedestrians like in the you know unloading area at the hotel. Uh, it had no brakes. I mean, you push the pedal all the way to the floor in that thing. And for about five years, we were using the handbrake on it. Then it got to the point where even the handbrake didn't even work anymore. So, yes, did I have to spend about $2,000 to get all the brake stuff done before the road rally this year? Why, yes, I did. It sucked. Okay, guys, we are down to the last. Oh, I should give a. Did I give all the books away already? Did I give a shortcuts to hit songwriting away? We have two books left, and we gave this one away. Really? Okay. Let's give a book away for this one. This one's going to be so easy. Whoever wins it almost doesn't deserve it. What current pop star was part of Taxi's A&R team back in the day before she was famous? There's a clue. What famous pop star, or what current pop star, was part of Taxi's A&R team back in the day before he slash she was famous? Oh, yeah. Fentamalonis wins it with Katy Perry. Yes, Katy Perry. Woohoo! I got to tell you, it was comical watching all the male screeners. She was nobody. I mean, she was completely unknown. And she would typically come to work in a pair of jeans and maybe a white T-shirt and a baseball hat. She wore baseball hats a lot. Um, sometimes a hoodie. And she would sit in her cubicle with the hoodie pulled up, sometimes sunglasses on. Because the male screeners, it didn't matter how many other cubicles were open. They would, like, literally elbow each other to get to the cubicles on either side of poor Katie. She knew that she was being objectified by those men who were pigs as screeners. And she was actually a good screener. She started out doing gospel stuff. Ooh, I should have made that a trivia question. What genre did Katy Perry screen for Taxi? She screened gospel. Eventually, we found out that she could do pop, and she did pop as well. And then she said something in the press about, 
who was I to screen music and judge their music when I thought mine sucked as well or something like that? Hers didn't suck. Anyway, Fen, do you have this book yet, Demystifying the Cue? Because if you do not, you now get a copy of it for getting the answer right on that one so quickly. Her dad was Church? Church Perry? Her dad was a preacher, right? I think both of her parents actually were ministers. Okay, Fen Tamalonis, you get a copy of Dean Crepain's amazing book, Demystifying the Cue. You will love this book forever. It's an awesome book, incredibly good book. I've actually read it twice and I loved it both times. Um, yep, he was a minister. Okay, moving on. I'll be shocked if anybody gets this right. Who was screener number one? Who was screener number one? <laughs> Margot says, I'm, I am losing, but I'm learning. <laughs> there you go. Oh, you guys are so wrong. Everybody's saying it was you, Michael. No, it wasn't me. Yoda, there you go. <laughs> Not Michael Lloyd, he's never been a screener. Rob Shirelli was a screener. Mrs. Lasco, nope, she's not qualified. Although I've got to say, she has been doing an incredibly good job and has demonstrated more patience than any person I've ever met getting our new um, website stuff launched. She's been project managing that and she's been doing an amazing job. Frankly, it's been wonderful for our marriage as well. Lesson learned, don't hire your wife to do project management on software stuff. Matt Hurt, nope. Not Michael Letter, not Mrs. Lasco, not Rob Shirelli, although Shirelli was in the initial group of screeners. Um, the dog from Frasier, no, but I love that dog. Robin Frederick, nope. Carl Wurzbach says, the website is something else, nicely done. We are currently working on the stuff that the screeners deal with now, their view of, of what they do. Um, Darren Fletcher, dude, you are on fire. Darren Fletcher wins it with nobody was screener number one. And I'm gonna tell you the answer. I don't think I've ever publicly disclosed this before, the staff knows. The reason there was no number one was I built the database using FileMaker Pro. I went out and bought a book and bought the software for FileMaker Pro and I built a database and it looked horrible, but it worked okay. And when I tried to set up the screeners um, and assign numbers to them, I blew the first record. I hit the enter button on the first record, even though there was no name in it. And I said, oh, screw it. I'm not gonna go back and figure out how to edit it. So screener number one was blank. And I can't tell you anything else because we never give out screener numbers unless the screener sadly has passed away. Um, oh, this is a good one. And I know I've talked about this on the show and everybody in the industry has copied me, but I was the first. Which company did Michael borrow the phrase broadcast quality from? Which company did Michael borrow? In other words, I stole it. 
the phrase broadcast quality from. Nope, CD Baby was years after Taxi. Uh, not NBC, not Sony, Kodak, Tascam, no. Russell Nolan gets it, Panasonic. Did you actually remember that when I mentioned it on air? Um, I was trying to come up with a way to talk about film and TV, you know, like what quality. It had to be better than demo and not as good as like master quality. And I was thumbing through a magazine and I saw a Panasonic broadcast camera and it said broadcast quality in a smaller package. And I went, that's it, broadcast quality because it's good enough to be broadcast. And I used it and everybody in the industry now uses it. They copied it from me, but I stole it from Panasonic. Um, also, nobody in the history of the music industry had ever said their song was forwarded to, ever. That was started here at Taxi. So everybody else is just a copycatter. Um, here's a personal question. How many children does Michael have? And these are the ones that I know of, okay? Just the ones that we actually, the ones that I've paid for college for. Let's put it that way. How many children does Michael have? Wow, you guys are good. Darren Fletcher, four. Good job. <laughs> this is not a real question. What is Michael's favorite type of dog? I actually do have one, but I don't think I've ever mentioned it on the show. <laughs> Nina Harris says, hi, Dad. <laughs> hi, Nina, fifth daughter. Um... Oh, well, I just blew that one. <laughs> the next question, the second to the last question was what are their genders, but I just blew it like an idiot. Okay, and this is the best question of the day. Um, Robbie Hancock says, above, I again, I was above Darren there. Let's go back. I'm going to check it out. Maybe we both missed it. No, nope, I'm looking at my screen right now, Robbie, and it's Darren Fletcher followed by Square Business Entertainment followed by Robbie Hancock. I don't know what to tell you, but that's Ariana and I are both getting the same results and we got to go with this. I know you're not a cheater, dude. I know you. I know you would never do anything untoward, but it's what's showing up on our screen. Uh, okay, the last question, which notice we've got two minutes left in this super fun episode that we have all enjoyed. Um, which famous male engineer slash producer did Michael, meaning me, kiss on the lips and cause Eric Clapton to fall off his chair laughing? Which famous male engineer producer did Michael kiss on the lips and cause Eric Clapton to fall off his chair laughing. I mentioned this on the show. I think I mentioned it at the road rally during the uh, Ken Collet interview. And I recently saw this guy for the first time in like 40 some years. And we were enjoying a good laugh together, remembering the moment. Yeah, you guys are pretty quiet now, ain't ya? 
whoa oh it's because I scrolled up um, uh, not Jeff Emmerich although I was very attracted to Jeff I'm kidding um, Simon Cowell no I don't believe he was ever an engineer um, not Glenn Johns although I worked with him once for a day or two Phil Spector no can't remember his name yep that was him OMG, you mentioned it at the road rally. I did. It wasn't Tom Dowd. I remember the story, but can't remember the name. Um, reenact the moment. No, I, I don't. No. It wasn't Eric Clapton. It wasn't Bob Clearmountain. It wasn't Glenn Johns. Frank Simzik? No, it was actually Bill Simzik, but that's not the guy I kissed, but I knew Bill Simzik. He was the Eagles engineer producer. Used to see him pretty much every day. Clearly road rally attendees are at an advantage. Well, and so they should be. <laughs> Alan Parsons? Nope. Bob Ezrin? Nope. Martin Birch? Wow, you guys know who the good guys are. Greg Ladani, no. Eddie Kramer, boy, you're mentioning them all. Danny DeVito, no. Mutt Lang, no, he was a dog. Um, Ed Cherney, no. Ed just passed away a few weeks ago. Um, all right, Cry Uncle, let me know when you want me to tell you. Warren Hart, how do you pronounce Warren's last name? Hart? Hart? Hewart. Dan Huff, no. Chris Lord, suggestions are crazy. Jeff Emmerich, Barry Gibb, no. <laughs> Put us out of our misery. Rick Rubin, no. I haven't worked. Um, I'll give you a hint. Uh, it wasn't Al Schmidt. It wasn't Jeff's brother. It wasn't Peter Gordon. Um, his initials were R.A. And whoever gets this one right wins a copy of Shortcuts to Hit Songwriting. Todd Rundgren, yeah, because his initials are R.A. <laughs> Gary Katz, no. Arif Martin. Arif Martin was there. He was in the control room when this happened. I miss Arif. Robert Almgren, nope. No clue. All right, well, I guess nobody's going to win this book. I'll give it away next show or something. Um, all right, Richard Alderson. Nope, it was Ron Albert. And for those of you who weren't at the road rally and... Oh, here. Somewhere. I have a picture. Just for the record, I've never kissed another man. And don't plan to anytime soon but Ronnie and I had a thing no. <laughs> um, 
where is my picture? Right, there we go. Okay, the guy in the middle, that is Ron Albert. Now, what makes Ron Albert interesting is he engineered Layla when I think he's like 15 years old. His older brother, Howie, was engineering um, Derek and the Dominoes, the record that Layla was on. And um, Howie got drafted, I think went to Vietnam, I think. I know he got drafted and they needed somebody to finish up the record. Ronnie was a kid. He lied about his age to get a job at Criteria. And uh, he, he got you know, picked to finish the record. So he engineered Layla. I believe he was 15, maybe 16 years old. So he was royalty at Criteria. Both of the brothers were, were royalty. Um, and I was the lowest form of life on the totem pole at Criteria. And I believe I was working with the band Firefall. I was the assistant engineer on that record. Typically, the Firefall sessions would typically wrap up like between 10 p.m. and midnight. And Clapton, I'd worked with Clapton briefly as the assistant engineer on a record called There's One in Every Crowd. I didn't even get a credit on it because I was such so new to the industry. I don't even think anybody knew who I was, but I worked for maybe a week on some of the sessions on stuff that went on There's One in Every Crowd. So the next time Clapton came back to Criteria, he actually requested me as the assistant engineer. Unfortunately, I was working with Firefall. Fortunately, the Clapton sessions were starting around 11 p.m. at night. So the guy who was one notch above me on the ladder at Criteria, a guy named Steve Gursky, who sadly passed away several years ago, Gursky said to me, hey, dude, here's the deal. I will go set up Studio C for you. Studio C was where I Shot the Sheriff was recorded. Um, all the Bee Gees hits were recorded in Studio C. Um, Eagles, one of these nights, some Hotel California recorded in Studio C. Great little room, tiny room, but really good sounding. Um, and Gursky says, I will go set up the mics and everything, get all the, the headphones set up, everything. And when you're done with Firefall for the day, just, you know, come on over and you'll be like the pro from Dover. You're good to go. Everything will be all set up. So I walk in the room and rather than starting in the control room, I went right out to the studio to kind of survey the lay of the land and make sure Gursky had plugged everything in and that the cables were wrapped nicely and no trash around the room, that sort of stuff. And all of a sudden, Ron Albert hits the talkback mic and he's yelling. At first, I didn't even realize he was yelling at me, but he's screaming and yelling into the talkback. Who the hell plugged this stuff in? And I didn't want to throw Gursky under the bus because I was a nice guy and Gursky was helpful to... Gursky plugged stuff in the wrong holes. And I believe now in retrospect, and because he's dead, we can't find out the real answer, that he plugged in the wrong holes to make me look bad. Um, I think maybe he saw me coming in the rear view. I know he wouldn't screw something like that up. He was better than that. Anyway, Ronnie Albert was so pissed off that he, like, he brought up Fader One, which probably should have been his bass guitar. Direct box instead, it was like the hi-hat mic, you know, and normally I think he would use track or fader two for the kick drum and it was something else. And he's screaming and yelling. And Clapton was sitting like three or four feet away from me in, in a chair with his black strat and he's tuning his guitar or noodling on or something. And he looks up at me with this wry little smile on his face. He goes, are you, you're not gonna take that, are you mate? And I went, I've got to, the guy's royalty around here. You don't screw with Ronnie Albert. And he goes, no, 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 you can't take that from him. You've got to do something to disarm him. 
So now I was caught between, you know, Ronnie Albert being pissed off at me and Eric Clapton basically handing me a challenge, you know, and I was like 19 or 20 years old at the time. So I did the only thing I could figure out to do in a moment. I, I walked into the control room, walked right up to Ronnie Albert, who was sitting there at the console, and planted a kiss right on his lips. <laughs> I think Tom Dowd, Tom Dowd was in the room. Arif Martin was in the room. Um, I, maybe Howie Albert, the older brother, was in the room. I don't know. Everybody in the place just fell down laughing and clapped in out in the studio, literally fell out of his chair on the floor, holding on to Blackie, just laughing his ass off. So, yep, that was the only time that I've ever kissed a man on the lips. There you go. So, with that, do you have a total? Uh, I'm doing it right. You have one more question that you actually missed. I do? Yeah. What was... Oh, we have a bonus question. We could do the book, because we didn't do the songwriting book yet. Um, this one, what well-known engineer producer? Okay, this is an easy one. All right, so Ariana showed me a question that I didn't ask, so we will give the book away. What? Oh, okay. All right. Um, wow, I missed a question. All right, so whoever gets this question right wins the book, okay? And remember, for those of you who want a book, um, email your name and address and which book you want to taxitv at taxi.com. That address, one more time, is taxitv at taxi.com. And the question is, the last question, the bonus question, the one that I missed, was which well-known engineer producer is Michael's best friend and former taxi screener? Which well-known engineer producer is Michael's best friend and former taxi screener? Dum 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 da 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 da. Dean Kataska wins it. It's Rob Shirelli. Yay! Good job. I will have to tell Rob every year the Shirellis and Lascos get together for New Year's Eve and Fourth of July, and so we will be. I think this year is. Shirelli's turn to host it at his house. Every year I walk in, sit down, Rob goes, what can I make you to drink? Nothing, Rob. Alcohol gives me a headache. Come on, man, you gotta have a drink. It's New Year's Eve. No thanks, Rob. <laughs> Every year he spends like two first two hours. What do you want to drink? Nothing. I'm telling you now, Rob, if you're watching, nothing. I will take a Diet Coke or vitamin water or just regular water. Um, Speaking of Rob, weren't we supposed to get his notes from his talk? I vaguely remember that. Um, I'll look into that. I will ask him tomorrow night to give me those notes, and uh, maybe I'll stick them in a newsletter or something. We'll figure it out. Thanks for letting me know. Um, anyway, so that's it. Um, Ariana is still frantically totaling because she wants to get it absolutely right. We wouldn't want to give away a free membership or a free renewal to somebody who doesn't deserve it. Um, while she's totaling, why don't you guys tell me who's doing the most like insanely unusual thing for New Year's Eve? Is anybody like climbing, uh, what's the, the bridge in uh, Sydney, Australia, like the Harbor Bridge? Anybody climbing that bridge? Can I take the road rally on the road? 
towards Detroit or Toronto? And the answer, sadly, Brad, is no, because we would have to charge for it. I would have to fly a hundred different industry people to whatever city we go to and pay for like four nights of a hotel for them. So a hundred plane flights to Detroit, figure 400 bucks ahead from LA. Um, what's that, 40 grand right there? Um, and then hotel, like 150, 200 bucks a night. Let's round it up to 200 a night to include tax and parking or whatever. So that's another 20 grand um, a night times four nights. There's 80 grand. So we're up to $120,000 in expenses. We'd have to get a truck to bring all the taxi stuff to your city. You get the idea. It's cheaper to fly me out, perhaps. Do you know we actually get every year, because we say the road rally is free. It is. Every year we get somebody who says, well, it's not free for me because I got to fly out there. So unless you guys are paying for my airfare, it's not free. No, the event is free. Um, Ooh, Darren Fletcher's going to a pajama karaoke party. That's pretty cool. That sounds fun, actually. Rogany says, LA is a great place for the rally. So grateful you do it for us there. Thanks, Rogs. I would, hey, Rogs, you're in one of the photos. You and I on stage together um, holding up the phone so Matt could see the audience. That's actually in the Red Rally photos. Uh, so go to, to the taxi website and click on newsletter and you will see yourself. Um, wow, Fentam alone is going to National Fencing Division One tournament in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'll be competing in the Olympic trial won't win won't win but we'll have fun well with an attitude like that dude come on you could win that is cool i've always wanted to learn how to fence and i don't mean like fencing jewelry i mean like you know fencing Windchime says you work so hard michael thank you um thank you for noticing excellent show thanks to all who put it together thank you la is a direct flight from maui I have a photo of Rogs and Michael during the after rally much needed shoulder massage. Yep, every year when Ro Rogany's there, she is an incredible masseuse and she sits on the back of the couch in the lobby and has me sit down below her and she gives me like a shoulder and back rub for like an hour. This year's was, she always gives a great one. This year was mind blowing. You ready? Yeah. All right, Ariana's got the winner, and the winner is, hold on, hold on, hold on. And the winner is... Darren Fletcher. Yay, Darren, congratulations. You win giving me a back rub at next year's rally. No. Are you a current member, Darren? Uh, because if you are, you get a free renewal and if you're not, we will hook you up with a brand new, shiny, never been used taxi membership. Marion Laird says, happy belated Hanukkah. Thank you. Happy sixth day of Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Darren Fletcher, where are you? I think you're a member. Um, I think Darren's in the restroom. 
All right. Well, in any case, oh, woohoo! Thank you, current member. So yes, you get a renewal. Thank you, Darren. Thank you for playing Taxi Trivia on Taxi TV. Um, who won the Robin Frederick book? Uh, who got the Shirelli answer right? Dean Kataska. Dean Dean You get the Shirelli or the Robin book. Um, all right, you guys. Thank you so much for watching. I was trying to do a show next week on the whole Discovery Channel composer thing. Um, but the lawyer um, can't make it, so I don't know what I'm doing next week. I know January 13th, we are going to do a show about the Discovery Channel, uh, Discovery Network, I mean, um, uh, composer thing, and probably other music industry-related questions, because we will have um, Aaron Jacobson, who's a really fine um, person, and a great music attorney will be joining us for the show. Just booked her a couple hours ago. So thank you, guys. See you next week for God Only Knows What. Have a great 2020. Don't drink and drive tomorrow night, okay? Do not do that. Stay home and get faced. Love you guys. Bye. See you next week for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. <laughs> Taxi TV Live. Bye.